Today, Palm Sunday, we celebrate the arrival of another king. He comes to the end of his journey in our reading in a procession that really couldn't be more different to the coronation of our queen. And yet, this extraordinary event also vibrated with the echoes of the past. It was celebrating in the present, but with an intention of giving us all hope for the future. He was on a journey that began in Galilee, not a place really held in high regard by anyone, and it had brought him down to Jerusalem, the city of David. It was throbbing with excitement and expectation. His journey began in 30 years of a relatively quiet life, really. It blossomed into three years of head-turning, life-changing ministry for some. And it culminates now in the events of a week that would change the world for eternity. It's worth, before we attempt to see what it means for us today, to unpack a little of what it meant to the people who were there. Sometimes we are so separated by culture and time from the writing of events that it's a little bit like reading the paper without your reading glasses on. You can miss the nuances of things because they're just a bit fuzzy. They're not as crisp as they might have been if you were in some ways closer to the people and the life of the writer. So what do we know of the story so far? The Gospels tell us that Jesus had travelled with his disciples from the north. He had just healed two men. He'd restored their sight. And he had met Zacchaeus, spiritually blind. Jesus had restored his life too to the way it had intended to be. He's coming to the end of this long journey from Galilee down to Jerusalem Google Maps told me yesterday that it would take 31 hours to walk all the way if you went flat out. So we join him here at Bethpage, which is a sort of suburb of Jerusalem, separated from the city itself by a couple of miles, the Kidron Valley. There would have been hordes of people making that journey with him for the Jewish feast of the Passover. In fact, Relatively contemporary census material tells us that a quarter of a million lambs were sacrificed for the festival. Now, given that regulations required at least 10 pilgrims for every sacrifice, we can say that there must have been about two and a half million people there. So that would be a scene not unlike the Queen's coronation, all those people in the mount. The city was brimful of people who had come with high religious expectations to celebrate a festival of immense importance to every Jew. They're an unhappy people under occupation and they long for God to give them once again the deliverance that this celebration recalls from a previous season in their history. Now, Jesus had walked every step of the way so far. This is the only occasion in the Gospels when he's recorded as not being on foot. So we can reasonably ask ourselves, why did he suddenly feel the need of a donkey? 
Jesus is not being swept along by the crowd and its enthusiasms. Sending for these donkeys is an intentional action. In a simple yet profound turn of events, Jesus is dramatizing, acting out, if you like, his message. Like Jeremiah and the other prophets before him, when people simply won't listen to words, Jesus acts out the message he wants to convey. He reminds the crowd in this way of the prophecy from Zechariah, a tiny prophetic book at the end of the Old Testament, which declares to Jerusalem that her king will arrive, bringing salvation, yet riding on the foal of a donkey. Without uttering a single word, Jesus is presenting himself as the king of the Jews. Different kings down the years have marked their reign in different ways. In 46 BC, Julius Caesar entered Rome after defeating the Gauls. He towed behind him, in procession, chains of captives to display his power. And his soldiers gave out to the assembled crowds fistfuls of gold and silver coins to show just how rich and bountiful he was. But not so with Jesus. Even earlier in history, Judas Maccabeus, a Jewish military leader, had entered the city of Jerusalem to shouts from the Psalms and public acclaim. His reign was marked by violence and physical power. But not so with Jesus. A thousand years before, Jerusalem had been the city from which King David reigned, arguably the last great king of Israel. And the Jews had been praying for another king just like him for at least half of that millennium. Jesus, however, is a king with a different agenda. There is no gold coach or jewel-encrusted crown to take our breath away and help us to recognise him. There's a borrowed donkey in place of a great war horse that speaks of humility instead of earthly power. Peace instead of conflict. He's not giving away gold coins or treasure to please the crowd, but he is willing instead to shed his own precious blood for people who will be calling for his death in a few short days. He's not processing away from a battle covered in glory. He's humbly progressing towards it. He's not trailing captives in his wake, but rather getting ready to set them free Yes, Jesus is a king with a very different agenda. The people in this enormous crowd recognised something extraordinary in Jesus that day, but they clearly didn't really understand him. I guess it's not at all surprising that a nation under occupation of a cruel and brutal foreign regime longed for a saviour, for a king to deliver them. They cry out 
with the language that they treasure from the Psalms. Hosanna to the son of David. Now when we hear that today, we simply hear a cry of joy to welcome a king. And there is that in it as people strew their cloaks beneath his feet. Our own Sir Walter Raleigh reminds us that that's a symbol of complete devotion to your monarch. A visual picture of an individual's determination to hold nothing back in the service of their king or queen. But if that's all we think that word means, then we have lost something in the translation. Because it's a word of greeting that is essentially a heart cry for deliverance. Both in Psalm 118, which we just heard there, and in Matthew. Hosanna is saying, save us now. It is the desperate cry of an oppressed people to their saviour and their king. However, they were so clear about how they expected God to answer their prayers for salvation that they didn't see it when he did so in a way they weren't quite expecting. They knew Jesus was a king, but they did not know what kind of king he was. They wanted a warrior to set them free from Roman servitude, and they were so wrapped up in what they thought the answer should be that they didn't understand the nature of his kingship or his kingdom. There is a story told about a man who was shipwrecked on an island far away from anywhere. He's all alone, and in his distress, he prays fervently every day for God to send someone to rescue him. The weeks pass. No one comes. The man explores the island. He collects things from round about to increase his comfort and to make a shelter. One day, when he returns from his exploring, he finds that his hut has gone on fire and all his humble treasures are destroyed. The man is furious with God and he shouts out curses and cries bitter tears. How could you be so cruel, God, he says. Some hours later, he's staring morosely out to sea with his back to the charred remains of his hut, when he sees a ship heading towards him. They've seen the smoke rising on the horizon from the fire of his precious hut and decided to investigate its source. In spite of his bitter accusations to God, the man is rescued. I wonder how often we pray fervently for the Lord to meet our needs and yet fail to recognise his answer when in his ultimate wisdom and immense creativity he answers in a way we simply were not expecting. This story of Jesus' entry into Jerusalem is the climax of his pilgrimage and also the story of the relationship between God and his people Israel. However, Israel's vision of what it wanted was fundamentally different to what God was offering 
somehow there was a mismatch between their expectations and God's answer. The Jewish people had hoped that the Messiah would bring an end to Roman occupation. Awful though that was, it was just a surface evil. Jesus came to deal with the root of the problem. God's plan was so much bigger than they had ever dreamed possible. The Jews simply wanted God to free them from the tyranny of Rome. God wanted to offer eternal salvation to all men and women everywhere. Freedom on a completely different level. The people's motives were very self-centred. We're all quite good at turning to God when things aren't going too well, aren't we? In desperate times, the most surprising people will turn to prayer. But God is ever gracious. He doesn't wait for our motives to be pure before he answers our prayers. He does, however, answer them in his own way in a way that brings about the deepest good for our lives. When we invite Jesus to step in and help us, he answers in a more thorough way than we could ever have dreamed possible. We come today to the end of a season when we've been looking as a church family at what it means to serve one another. We've tried to give space to think about what it really means to be servant-hearted community. Palm Sunday is a celebration of joy as we see Jesus, our servant king, nearing the end of his earthly journey as he offers a last invitation to people to open their hearts to him. Unlike conquering armies who demand reluctant submission, Jesus asks only for our voluntary surrender. He comes to love, not to destroy, to help rather than condemn. It's an occasion, rather like the coronation of our Queen, that is, whilst joyful, also incredibly solemn. It has import for our lives beyond the waving of flags and the singing of rousing songs. It marks a moment of eternal significance when Jesus, Son of the Almighty God, chooses to give himself as the ultimate sacrifice, the answer to all of our deepest needs. He offers us this opportunity to open our hearts to him, to declare him our servant king. It is the start of the final act in the story of Jesus' earthly life, the beginning for us of Holy Week, when we consider the costly journey that Jesus took for our sakes. I'd like to end for a moment, a moment of silence now, as we might consider our response to this immense act of love from Jesus our Lord.
our servant king has indeed come. King of our past, king of our present, and king of our future. We can echo the crowds as they cry, Hosanna to the son of David. Amen.